Once upon a time, there was a group of people that um, witnessed an incredible event, an incredible event, and then stood up in front of the most powerful nation on the planet and proclaimed that truth, that event, in front of that entire nation and did not care the consequence of what it would withhold to them or their families and did not care what the cost would be, and did not care how far or how much it would take. And they did it in hopes that you and I would be here. In hopes that you and I would have a chance to hear the same truth. So let me remind you as we start today, that there was once a group of people, and they were all different kinds. They were, (laughs) we're going to get this, they were rich, they were poor, they were not on the screen, so I'm not going to remember it. There they are! Woo! I wish I could memorize that as quickly as I want to, but I do, I couldn't. Once upon a time, there was a people of people that were rich, poor, slaves, masters, men, women, children, Greeks, Romans, Jews, soldiers, tax collectors, jailers, merchants, that found something special in common. And after being told all their lives had nothing in common with people who were nothing like them, all groups of people at one point discovered they had something in common when they were told their entire lives they had nothing in common. And that is what we are trying to do here. Because we don't go to church around here. We are the church. And we are stewards of the faith of our generation. Once upon a time, there was a group of people that didn't just meet together. They decided to be a movement, a group of people stewarding the faith that they had been given. And we are that remnant. And we are now the stewards of the faith that we have received. Their faith was confident and fearless and in the face of constant persecution, in the face of constant reasons to give up and to hold back and to give in. But they didn't. And they stewarded it well. And we are here today. So I ask you this question. What is our once upon a time story going to be in the years to come? How are we stewarding the faith that we've been given? How are we stewarding the opportunities that we have? And I think for most of us, we have a certain idea of what we're reaching for. It might be an idealistic thing that a father or a parent or someone we knew has pointed out. It might even be a biblical character, someone that we've watched around us, that we model our lives around. But we have to continue to ask and evaluate this thought. We are not going to generation's faith. What are we teaching them? What is the legacy that we're leaving? So today I want to talk about some of the legacies that was left in the early church the church that left this legacy for us that we now pick up the torch of, 
And I want to pick up a story in Acts chapter 4. And this is one of those stories that I feel like when you first read it, it just seems like one of those uh, easily like forgotten, kind of thrown in there, one of the many of this type of situation. But I want to remind you, this story is happening just months after Jesus is resurrected. This story is happening when Jesus has already ascended. He is not around anymore, but they had seen him. And so it finds us in a similar context where most of us in here, not all of us in here, would not say that we had seen physically the risen Savior, and he is not present in physical form, but we would claim him as present in spirit, that we would claim him as present and alive. And so the characters of this story, you might find yourself uh, fitting in a little bit more with this story than normal because this is something that faith is not something you can just turn and go that here he is. This is a faith that you have to choose to believe with an assurance of something that is not present in physical form, but with an assurance of the hope that one day will be fulfilled. And today's story, it it kind of includes everybody because you're going to find that these characters are not people of high caliber or far off knowledge or understanding or depth of experience that you and I could not hope to ever achieve, but we're going to find that these people are common, ordinary. And so as we read this, I, I hope that you find yourself on your journey, whatever your next step may be, starting or still continuing with what it would look like to truly carry on and be stewards of a faith that you've been given, and what it would really look like for you to do that as tough as nails. So let's start this story. I'm going to do a little synopsis to get us caught up, but basically this is the thought process. Uh, There's a couple apostles that have been kind of standing in front of basically the very men that killed Jesus and proclaiming that truth. And then they've been doing this in such a way that they've been healing people that are sick and lame. And then these same men that killed Jesus are now watching his disciples perform and follow through with the same things that he's been doing. So they thought they took the head off the snake when they killed Jesus, but in turn he came back and empowered the people around him to a greater scale. It seems like every time darkness tries to win that light can't help but overcome. And so these men are in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people are now turning to Jesus. And what they thought the cross was going to do ends up being the opportunity for more to receive salvation. And so these two apostles, they heal a man who is lame and then this lame man comes with them and stands next to them. While the Sanhedrin, the same court that unjustly sent Jesus before Pontius Pilate that got him crucified, are now standing in front of these two apostles with this lame man, and they're saying, why are you continuing to say this message? And you would think at that point common sense would kick in for these two apostles, but one of them's Peter. ain't gonna happen because Peter's been doing this his whole life speaking up when he has the conviction of his savior in his heart so this is what he said 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and earth given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, holy smokes. You think that's controversial now. I mean, right? You say that statement in front of some people, how much frustration does that bring? In fact, I will tell you this. There are some people that are not in this room, or you may be back now for the first time in a while because of statements like this that were made by the church. Uh, You hear that, and that just feels like, na-na-na-na-boo-boo, we got it, you don't. Right? It feels like this is just like one of those statements. You're like, but, but them too? Oh, come on. But they're cool people too. And, and for some of us, I get it. I totally get it. I have immense amounts of friends, tons of friends, that this statement right here is one of the most challenging thoughts, that there is only one way to heaven. There is only one way to be saved. But the men they're saying this to, they were the ones that killed the way. They weren't just opposed. They were death penalty opposed. They weren't just like, get mad at you and stop being your friend get mad at you because they don't understand, walk away never to talk to you. They were take action, take you down. So this comes. As bold as it comes. Have you ever seen a two-year-old be bold? Aren't they bold? Oh, man, right? I got, I got a three-year-old right now. His boldness blows me away. He will tell you what he wants unashamedly as if he is God's gift to me on this earth. He is. He knows it. The other day, he pooped his diaper. I know I'm bringing up poop again. Leave it alone. And he came to me, and this is what he said. Dad, I need you to change my butt. Said for the thousand times, bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I need some juice. (laughs) and I remember looking at him and it was with the the innocence of a child right the innocence of a child this is what's going to happen I'm going to tell you what's going to happen and then it's going to happen and guess what happened I didn't give him either thing no I'm just kidding I gave him I changed I changed his bottom and then I I gave him juice and in my mind I was thinking about this this week and so that's just a silly little interaction with my kid but I wonder how many of us in here when it's right there, it doesn't come out of our mouth. No one else. See, if that's not true, then that's really sad. And we've tricked a lot of people. And we're not, we don't have the truth in us. And that's, that, that would be just frustrating. But I could even make a point to you that following Jesus, if that's not true, is still pretty healthy for your life. You could make that. But if that is true, that is a desperate flee or desperate plea for a lot of people. That's a desperate plea for a lot of people. And I really think, look, I really think 
Peter knew that the men he was facing needed to hear it as badly as anyone else. I really think that. This wasn't an in-your-face, stick-it-to-you, as much as a plea for them to reevaluate, to think about it, to recognize it, to reread Isaiah 43 and then think about it. But what's crazy is they don't believe it, but they see it. Uh, they don't believe what Peter's putting down, but they see something that's in him. And this is what we're going to pick up here on third. When they saw the courage, when they saw the courage of Peter, whoa, ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was one thing that they were looking at them and going, okay, there's no other qualities in you <laughs> that give you this boldness. There's no other reason that you should have the confidence in your knowledge, understanding, experience, upbringing, economic state. There's no other reason for you to have confidence, but yet there's this one thing that in the back of their minds, they're taking note that these men had been with, lived with, experienced, walked with daily Jesus, and it astonished them. But since they could not see the man who had been healed, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, well, don't you love that? Even though they didn't believe this Jesus guy, they're looking at this guy going, doo, 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 next to him. There was nothing they could say. That's some boldness right there. In the verses before this, it says 5,000 people came to follow that day. Crazy. What happens after this is these guys get really mad. They get really mad. And they basically have to take a time out. And they tell Peter and John, hey, you guys wait here. Uh, we're going to go back here and talk about what just went down. And so the Sanhedrin and the court, they go back in the back room, they basically huddle up, and they're like, what are we going to do? This guy, they keep talking about him, and then they keep doing this stuff, and we can't stop it. And the people are going to lose it when they see this guy's walking. What do we do? So they come back, and they decide on one thing. They said, all right, here's what we think. Good job. This is kind of a cool thing. However, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And if you do, there's going to be consequences. I'm going to leave it that simple for you to think about. Because there's places in your life you may not have been verbally told. There's people in your life that they may not have verbally told you. They've given something off. They've told you with their body language. They might have told you even in some different words than that. Don't bring that up. There'll be consequences. Now, the consequences of this are a little different, like imprisonment, torture, crucifixion. <laughs> Sounds awful. 
but they have the proof is in the pudding of what they just did to Jesus. And I'm sure in the back of Peter and John's mind, they're going, yeah, they kind of follow through sometimes with their threats. So then Peter and John, they go back, and that's where we'll pick up the story in verse 24, and they tell the rest of the church, they tell the rest of the body what's going on. And When the body heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now this is really neat. Uh, this is one of the first times in the Bible that we have the church, after Jesus has come, died, and been resurrected, praying together. This is one of the first recorded prayers. Now this is... This is cool. What are they going to pray? I mean, there's a little bit up there, but like, what are they going to pray? Think about that. This is going to set the tone for a lot of prayers. Uh, this is going to set the tone of how they approach something like this. A big issue, a big struggle. Think about this. Think about this with your friends, right? Something goes wrong with one of your friends. How did you guys respond as a group? Right? How about your marriage? How, how did you respond when something went wrong in your marriage? Uh, with your kids? Something breaks, something spills. How do we respond? In the, isn't that setting the tone for something so much larger in the culture of those environments? This is epically larger than that. It's our first glimpse in. It's our first sign. It's our first showing of what the tone should be when opposition when trouble arises. What's this prayer going to sound like? Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Ooh, they're starting big. I'll start small. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Ooh, they're talking about his faithfulness. Talking about his past faithfulness. Always like that. We're big about that around here. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Oh, man. Now they're hitting the questions. Why do people press against you when you're showing your faithfulness? And they keep going. The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against you, Lord, against his anointed one. Oh, man, that's big. Why does everything around fight against you? Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met the ruler of the Jews, the ruler in place and the person who was representing Rome together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And then the big sentence here in the center, they did what your power will had decided beforehand should happen. In the face of all my questions, in the face of all the ways that it would look like everyone else is winning and that their influence is larger than yours, I will settle, we will settle and believe that you are still in control. You are still at work. You still have a plan. No matter where your marriage is, no matter where your kids are at, no matter where you're personally hurting or suffering, no matter the dreams that have been met or the expectations that have been dashed, 
no matter if it's been opposition, intentionally or unintentionally, circumstantial, you are in control. Ooh, that's a good prayer. Do we pray like this? Now they're going to get to the other part. Now, protect us, watch over us, keep us. Cause our portfolios to grow, our waistlines to shrink, our kids to get scholarships. Help me pass my chemistry class. Get me into that stretch school. I need a date. We pray little prayers. Perhaps that's why so little happens. And we worry. Before I get to what they really prayed, you ever thought about what you and I pray? You ever thought about how we pray? I'm so guilty of this. What's the first thing we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Duh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and then we just jump right into it. Right? Oh, God, it's so stressful. These kids just won't shut up. It's so loud in here all the time. Are they ever going to be quiet? Other of us. It's so quiet in here. Is there going to be any else in my life? Others of us. I wish I had more time to do things. Others of us. I wish I could just relax and be at peace. What do our prayers center around? What do our prayers sound like? How big is our God? What mission are we on? Are we stewards of anything but ourselves? Because here's how they pray. Now that they've painted a picture of God's faithfulness, now that they've painted a picture of how big he is and how much he's in control, no matter the circumstances and other people's choices, this is what they choose to pray. Now, Lord, consider the threats Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Oh, that's such a good word. Boldness is confidence. Boldness is confidence. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform the signs and wonders through the name of, uh, uh, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. At any point in there, did they ask for their own safety? It cuts to the heart, does it not? After the prayer meeting, the place where they were at, they were meeting, she was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, the, and, the, and spoke the word of God boldly. I love that thought, that the truth of God would come out of them. And all the believers were in one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. There's a confidence in that. But look at this. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the, fill it in there, the theology, the doctrine, The preferences, our expectations, 
No, it's the resurrection. The resurrection. And go back. And then they finish. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And if you know the rest of the story, Peter and John go right back to where they were. And they keep on preaching. They keep on teaching. And they keep at it. Let me ask you this question today. Once upon a time, there will be a church here that will not have any of us in it. And hopefully it'll be a church that won't be a building And it won't be a group of people that agree on some preferences or theology or doctrine. It'll be a group of people that are centered on an event. An event that led to some of the largest and most incredible things being done because it really happened. And those people carried that event at the center of their mind to say, anybody that comes and says, I can do this, die, be buried for three days, and come back. We're just going to choose to do whatever he says. And at the center of their lives, they held that truth as real and as confident and fearlessly. And they chose to extend that event and the hope and the love that is displayed in that to anyone they possibly could. Will we be stewards of that faith? Will we be stewards of a generation that will rise up? Will we be tough as nails? Will we be able to say we were faithful because he is faithful? He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is everything in Give us the opportunity. May we pray big prayers and watch God come through in big ways. Maybe our hopes is that one day we'll be finding ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance. I got that backwards. The race. (laughs) Set out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy, oh, that's so powerful, the joy set before him, the love, the joy, the happiness that was set before him of what a reunited kingdom, a reunited humanity would look like with him. Set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You and I are meant to be tough as nails, 
carrying on our faith stewards to the next generation of a faith that is fearless in a sovereign God who is in charge no matter what the circumstances look like in your private life, in the political world, or across the world. We choose to believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that he called it, he said he was going to do it, and then he did it, and he did it for you, and he did it for me, and we carry that message boldly to anyone who will listen, and we pray big dreams right now, big prayers that God would do incredible things for his name's sake. And that our safety and that our possible worry or fear would be chased away from our minds in the face of what could be at stake for those that have not heard we follow a God who did not live fearfully, who did not run away, but walked boldly to the cross for you and me. We are called to do the same. And what would happen if we did? What would happen if selflessness reigned? What happened if pride fell away? What happened if fear turned into faith? What happened if silence turned into boldness? Listen, we love first around here. It's one of our values. We will be known what we are for. Love is at the center of everything we do. This is not a weaponized thing. This is something we carry as an act of love. Every person we come in contact with has value and placed on them by God. That every person we come in contact with was a person Jesus thought about and knew when he got on the cross. And that each person we have the opportunity boldly to speak the same faith we were given, that they matter, that Christ died for them, and that he rose to bring them back to life. May we be stewards. May we be tough as nails and follow our Savior. Pray with me.